because they've really got their backs against the wall at the moment um, as far as being able to pull their species back from the brink of extinction. Welcome to the Rising Lioness podcast on All About Animals Radio, a place dedicated to animals and all those who act to protect and advocate for them. Hi, I'm your host, Erica Salvamini, and I'm thrilled and honored to be here representing All About Animals Radio using my voice for the animals. Thank you for joining us for what intends to be a thought-provoking and soul-inspiring series where we discuss topics aimed at understanding the importance of the relationship between empathy, animal rights, and our peaceful coexistence with the animal kingdom. And now, on to our show. Today we have Leif Cox, founder of Wildlife Conservation International, joining us. Under this organization, Leif has also founded Wildlife Asia, International Elephant Project, Forest for People, and International Tiger Project, which is what we're here to speak about today. Leif is also vice president of the Orang Utan Republic Foundation, and he began his career as a zookeeper, curator, and small population biologist. Leif has worked hands-on with orangutans for over 30 years. He's highly regarded as a world-renowned expert on orangutans and has authored a number of books, including Finding Our Humanity and Orangutans, My Friends, My Cousins. In 2019, Leif was awarded the Order of Australia Medal from the Australian government and his university's highest award, the John Curtin Medal, for his dedication to species conservation. Welcome, Leif. It's an honor to have you here today. Thank you for taking time out. And uh, I'm so glad we were able to work out our schedule. It took us some time, but you're on the other side of the planet, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, literally on the opposite, the opposite side of the planet. Yeah, so thank you. Oh, well, it's great to have you here. So we'll just jump right in then. And so you've worked for over 30 years with wildlife and including with the Sumatran tigers. I was wondering if you could tell us a bit today about how you got started in this line of work. And did you know from a young age that you wanted to do this type of um, noble work, really? is what I would call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've always kind of had an affinity um, with animals and the desire to work with them. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of been, a, I guess, a constant theme of my life. And um, certainly with, yeah, and um, I guess in starting originally out on this work, we were always intending um, the conservation work to support all biodiversity, all animals, and humanity as well under a holistic project. And the International Tiger Project is our attempt to bring one of the most vulnerable species, the Sumatran tiger, under that holistic protection um, because they've really got their backs against the wall at the moment um, as far as being able to pull their species back from the brink of extinction. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's really upsetting. And I'm so glad that you're out there doing this work because we need you and others like you to be championing this um, this work and protecting our, our delicate uh, wildlife. So you had started out as a zookeeper. So I just wanted to ask you kind of a 
little bit of an interesting question before we get we jump more into the tiger uh, conservation. Mm -hmm. And so I was wondering if you could just share with us a little bit about what that work, work was like and maybe your views on the industry, perhaps how it was then versus um, today and whether or not your views on that has changed at all, uh, the, your views on the, the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as you said, I worked in the zoo industry for 25 years, you know, 12 of those years, you know, very exclusively, you know, as a, as a zookeeper, then I'll, and then the curator, supervisor, director, and, you know, other positions within in the zoo. And um, it's, the, the zoo industry in, in a large is, um, I guess, you hope is in a state of evolution from a, you know, from a menagerie to a zoo to a conservation park. Um, and of course, you know, um, like all industries, they exist in their own bubble and their own cult, as it were, and often um, don't really have an accurate perception of, um, of who they are and um, what they're doing. So the, one of the questions is, is, you know, for example, is, you know, if what's, does it is it justified to keeping um, animals in captivity in a zoo? Um, and this, from what the the zoo industry tells us, is is certainly not justified. They talk about awareness and education being justifications for keeping animals in a zoo, um, and and also that they're holding um, backup populations of critically endangered species such as tigers and elephants and, and you know, orangutans. And that's not true either. Uh, zoo populations are unsustainable and will collapse eventually. So it may be difficult to save them in a while, but it's impossible to save them in captivity. Now, that doesn't mean that zoos potentially could hold a range of species which do do well in captivity and can perhaps live in a zoo environment. Um, but that's not necessarily the collection, the legacy collection that zoos have at the moment. So it certainly has to be rationalized because some animals that which are held currently in zoos aren't suitable for captivity um, and, and, and you know, should be um, phased out. But the, to, to move to the next stage evolution to be conservation parks, there have to be genuine shop fronts for conservation work, connecting people with real action. So um, it's like with any industry, it's far easier to um, talk <laughs> and far easier to, in, in, in a sense, whitewash the issues and, you know, and, and to be seen to be doing good. Uh, it's very hard to do the real thing, but it's certainly possible and certainly zoos have the potential to evolve to be conservation parks that um, uh, display animals which are suitable for captivity, connect people to them, yeah, and help fund and support genuine on-the-ground conservation work and be that, that connection um, for humanity. Right. Thank you for sharing um, that, your experience and, and your thoughts on it. And I just wanted to see, I don't want to make this show about that, but um, you'd be mm -hmm. having that in your background. I thought it was worth dimension and so well um the next thing i was wondering we could maybe talk about is uh threats it's the main threats the sumatran tigers and that's what i understand it they're the threats are 
very similar to other endangered species today, which is loss of habitat and the human, non-human animal conflict among the poaching end of things, which we can get to. But I wanted to ask, you know, your organization's mission is said to promote the survival of tigers in their natural habitat by undertaking genuine, measurable, and effective tiger conservation. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that work and what that entails. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, our, our first goal would be um, is to protect um, life tracts of viable ecosystems of the right type, shape and size of rainforest where Sumatran tigers can live in sustainable populations um, and, you know, and therefore the species can survive. Um, although this may be true for um, a lot of species, um, it's simply no longer possible for the Sumatran tiger among others. In other words, even if we get our fantasy situation of conserving the viable ecosystems that won't ecologically collapse and hold significant populations, none of those ecosystems in our grandchildren's lifetime, um, at least, will ever be able to hold a single um, Sumatran tiger population that would be genetically viable to hold that species in the future. So what are we left with? Um, we're left with tigers, um, small numbers of tigers in isolated um, rainforest ecosystems that we're, over the next 10 years, got the ability uh, with enough resources to conserve these ecosystems uh, intact and viable. But each one of those subpopulations in itself is not viable. So we have to then manage the entire Sumatran tiger population as a mega population which basically means um, when the male tigers um, leave the, the territory and then obviously are involved with uh, human-tiger conflict on the edge of the ecosystem, that we have to capture those male tigers and transfer them to the next ecosystem and basically become the genetic vectors in an artificial way to secure all the different subpopulations, which is very unfortunate. And this is also the same with elephants. We no longer have the capacity um, in the foreseeable future to allow them to completely live um, in, in the wild. And unfortunately, tigers have, have um, a double-edged sword. The primary issue of loss of habitat is obviously critical to tigers and all the species that share their, um, their habitat. But they have a couple of other issues. They have the obviously they are large, you know, carnivore, and therefore the human tiger conflict is critical because people are frightened of them. And of course, if you have two frightened beings who are competing over the same forest, it's unfortunately the tiger which is likely to die in, in the process. But unfortunately, also that they're um, they're um, they're extremely valuable in the Chinese medicine trade and for parts of such as their, their fur. So what we found is there were criminal syndicates going and deliberately poaching the tigers. And they're the same criminal syndicates that run the drugs and the guns. Obviously the skills of drug running and gun running and, and dangerous species parts running is actually the same skill set. So they, they undertake the same opportunities. So very dangerous people who are seeking to killed off the last remaining tigers for monetary gain. But the additional problem we've had actually quite relatively recently is swine flu. 
swine flu devastating the um, the wild pig population in Sumatra as it goes um, through the different ecosystems. And pigs are the primary food source for the um, Sumatran tiger. And then, so therefore they're starving. They can't find enough prey, which is increasing the um, human tiger conflict. And we've had two of our ranches attacked by tigers and we've had to um, protect um, children going to school um, from tigers exiting um, the rainforest ecosystems. So we, we are going through this extremely um, critical time for the Sumatran tiger to bring them through the extinction crisis and then um, manage them as a mega population. Of course, one day, uh, um, our final hope in many generations um, that in order to um, secure the planet f to mitigate climate change to the extent that we need to, we'll be rewilding 25% of the planet. We hope that includes tiger habitat so one day they can live without human intervention in viable populations. Wow, that's a really complicated um answer i mean not just the answer but the the actual process of helping them and making sure that they can survive and i mm. it's just it's a lot i if you're actually like working on moving them you, is that part of did i understand that correctly you move them from one area well, it's actually kind of very interesting. One of the key things we have to do with these ecosystems is make sure there's at least some tigers there. Because if, if once tigers go extinct in the area, um, social politically, it's almost impossible to reintroduce them. No community or, or government will risk you reintroducing a large killing machine into the environment where, where humans are living. And so, first of all, we've got to make sure that, we'll, you know, even if there's one or two, we maintain them there um, in, in the first place for social, political um, reasons. Um, but then, of course, we, we want to them to um, protect them with anti-poaching units and preventing human elephant conflict and reducing the poaching of their prey, which is just as important as reducing poaching on them themselves because they need the, the prey to survive and humans will often want to poach and um, the same animals um, to eat, if not protected. So then we have the, uh, what we call a viable subpopulation. Now, that's they basically will inbreed into extinction um, if we just did that alone. So the best possibility then is when male tigers are displaced um, from an ecosystem um, and normally would then move through rainforest to find other territories away from the natal territory to breed and, and, and prosper. They're obviously now facing a sea of monoculture of, of human-dominated landscapes where they're easily killed. And so um, our task is then to um, capture these conflict tigers, yeah? put them in a crate, and there's a couple of options is one is to send them to a zoo which is kind of a genetic dead end which means that they're kind of lost to their species and obviously the best welfare outcome is is for them to live free in the wild so our goal is to then ship them to a neighboring ecosystem where they are become um, a genetic contribution to a new population and 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 be able to to survive in the wild. So it's a reasonably um, complex issue. 
Um, and it's one of the, the things which is kind of um, annoying about communication, about conservation issues. You know, us as humans, we love simplistic answers, you know, that you had to sit, you know, but I always say for every complex problem in the world, there's a simple answer which is absolutely wrong. Unfortunately, the, the, the reality of um, preserving tigers and many other species is complex and multifaceted. Yes. Definitely. I can, I can see that. And, then, and we're just talking about one species. So I can only imagine what's, you know, how, the, the, the complexity and, yeah, protecting wildlife around the planet. I, I, doing this work, I talk to a lot of different people about, about these different, you know, subjects. And it's, uh, it's daunting. We try not to get too overwhelmed by it, don't we? But it is, um... Yeah, we're, we're lucky that many species what we will fit under the umbrella of a large megafauna's conservation. So, you know, so um, so the idea is under umbrella conservation. If you conserve the large megafauna, um, such as orangutans or tigers or elephants, um, then they will go along for the free ride. You don't have to pay too much attention if you're protecting the habitat and preventing poaching. Um, but what we quickly found um, when we were developing is there was species slipping outside the umbrella and the specific actions on top of the generic habitat protection actions, and those were tigers, elephants, and human beings, the indigenous communities, which were also falling outside the umbrella. And that's why we, we, we started sister projects to bring all living beings under the umbrella of um, our conservation efforts. I love that because it does, it is, we are all one and it does all matter. All these pieces fit together and you can't just leave one part of it out. Otherwise it does not work. So, and mm -hmm. I'd love to talk more about that later on if we can and we have time, maybe even jump on to another um, episode to do that. But one thing that interests me a great deal and troubles me is the, the third and major threat to to wildlife, to the Sumatran tigers, is what you mentioned, is the poaching and illegal trade of wildlife parts. And this industry is worth billions of dollars annually. Yet the lack of law enforcement and weak penalties that are given to these perpetrators of these wildlife crimes um, does leave this species vulnerable like many others. And so I wanted to ask, how do you or how does any conservation organization really effectively combats such a lucrative industry that is a, a dangerous and dark underworld um, and typically gets a pass from many governments, don't they? And that's part mm. of, that's, you know, we're talking about power and money and, you know, it's an age-old story, age-old problem around the world, and it's becoming more and more problematic. So what do you do? Mm -hmm. What do we do? Yeah, no, it, it, it's an interesting question because, you know, I mean, public servants or governments all around the world, it's, you know, if a elephant or tiger, you know, is killed or displaced, it's, ah, you know, it's not a big um, blot on your resume. But if somebody gets killed, a human, you know, then suddenly, you know, uh, your, your job is, is under threat. So, the, so um, they're always, so especially with a large carnivore, you know, they're always going to naturally favour as being, let's say, the killing of tigers in human-tiger conflict as a victimless crime. You know, it doesn't really affect them, even though it's driving a critically endangered species to extinction. That extinction will occur over many, many years, 
outside the lifespan of your average politician with a you know with their five-year vision and, and and so it's very hard to get the, the, the priority now with the criminal syndicates it's hard because the, you know these people will kill you you know they're, they're not nice people uh, and therefore why risk you know um in you know um life and limb to 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 save a tiger it doesn't um seem to be of much value in that sense now the the conjoining of 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 issues which is which for governments people and tigers as i may have mentioned before these people who are running the illegal pet trade are the same people running guns to terrorists yeah, and drugs um, to innocent people. And so um, international and national agencies who are truly interested, you know, in um, protecting people, you know, and um, sovereign governments should also be interested in these criminal syndicates because they are the same people. So I... Hope that that becomes more prevalent with um, these agencies and really taking a, an interest in doing that. I'm sure that I mean I I have seen more work in, in terms of investigations going on just doing this work you hear about it. So I hope that that becomes you know more of a priority. I guess. Um, mm -hmm. Well, how do you fund this such a massive undertaking like International Tiger Project? Where do your donors mainly come from and how can our audience help? Mm -hmm. We help. Mm. Yeah, our, our funding comes from um, donors, um, private donors who, who give us money, either small regular gifts or, 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 or large gifts in order for us to um, continue this work. And we've got chapters in New Zealand, Australia, Canada, US and the European Union. And all combined, we, we try with um, all our different international chapters to bring in enough money um, to achieve the outcomes that we want to do to conserve the, the rainforest. And in this particular instance, the Sumatran tiger. Unfortunately, at the moment, it's um, it's money is a, a rate-determining step, which is reducing our ability to um, enact the level of conservation that we would like to do for the Sumatran tiger. So I, I do spend a lot of my time um, doing talks and connecting with people to inspire people to help the Sumatran tiger and bring it back from the brink of extinction. Um, because without um, effective immediate help over the next decade, the Sumatran tiger will be lost um, to humanity. We've already lost the Javan tiger. We've already lost the Bali tiger. And the um, the next species of tiger, which is in the crosshairs, is Sumatran tiger. And we, we'd like to have been able to do enough in this most important decade of human history where to determine the future of the planet through climate change and the future of viable ecosystems of rainforest in Indonesia to at least secure the long-term future for this most vulnerable and beautiful species. So donations, folks, we'll, um, we will get that information out and also post it on the profile uh, page for this podcast episode. That's really important. Um, I also watched your empathy experiment video, which is on your website. And it said it, its aim was at giving people insight 
into the real dangers that tigers face in the wild, and more importantly, how it feels to be in their place, ergo the empathy. I watched it and I found myself becoming extremely emotional. I was, um, which I, I, so I guess what I'm saying is from my viewpoint, the experiment worked because I was very mm -hmm. overcome um, emotionally. And I was wondering if you could explain a little bit about what this project was and what your inspiration was for setting it up. Yeah, look, I guess why we give and why we care is empathy, connection with other living beings. And that means we feel what they feel. Yes. And so unfortunately, as you know, with our tribal brain, that's normally includes a, a very small group, you know, whether our community, religion, race or country. And outside of that, we, we, we seem to don't have that capacity to expand the love and connection outside of that. Um, which worked well for us um, through our evolution, but it's destroying the planet now. You know, unless we look after all humans in, on the planet, you know, and all ecosystems, the planet will not survive. Unless we can have our empathy and love and connection with other living beings, other than humans that share the planet, we will not survive because, you know, our capacity to destroy the future, future of this planet is well beyond the um, remit of our tribal mind and our effect on the environment that we could have had as we evolved as a tribal species. So the, the empathy project is is a way of um, seeing to see if we could connect people to another living being and understand that our actions are not just um, dry intellectual um, outcomes, you know, to save a critically endangered species just for the sake of wanting to save endangered species, but also to understand that, that the species we're trying to save and all the biodiversity and humanity in these rainforest ecosystems have feelings, yeah, and you know, and and have uh, just as we do, and deserve the love and respect. And what we also find is the predominantly reason people give is because they care. Yeah, and then the the intellect follows that, and, you know, and, and, and tries to um, make that caring in an effective way that's um, compatible with one's values. But unless we can get people to care and emphasise in, in the first place, um, we're often pushing um, the barrel up a hill, and it's, it's a struggle um, to to get the connection um, and the volume of people who are concerned before it's too late for the Sumatran tiger. I thought it was a wonderful experiment. I, I highly encourage everyone to go onto your website and um, and check that out. And I know we don't have too much time left, but I was wondering if you could maybe briefly mention uh, your latest project, The Forest for People, and then if we have time, um, or at a, at a later time, I should say, maybe we can talk about that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Forest for People is our latest project. And so I recently started the orangutan project, and what I was say to people, orangutans may, may have been the center of my love, but never the boundary of it. It was always intended to be, as we talked about earlier, the umbrella species. And what we found, the elephants and tigers were falling outside an umbrella, so we had to start a specific project to bring those species under our conservation. 
But the third species which we're falling out was the indigenous community, humanity. Um, they also had their ancestral land taken away from them by the big multinationals and their rights weren't um, respected or considered in the process. And their forms of subsistence living, slash and bone agriculture and hunter and gathering, which were um, um, sustainable over centuries, suddenly become unsustainable because they don't ha now have the land suitably sized to allow those systems of living to survive. And so we, we for example, the Talak Malak community in the Bukitikipul ecosystem are working to save um, tigers. Um, they, they wouldn't name their children until they were six years old. They didn't do that because there's no use getting attached to these little suckers because they're probably going to be dead. Most of them died. The children weren't learning well in the, in the small government-run school because they were malnourished. And so um, we wanted to bring human beings under umbrella conservation. So we started feeding the, the children. We started educating them, um, providing scholarships for high school and university, developing agricultural systems under the rainforest canopy. Um, to not only allow them to survive, but prosper. Because once these people are educated and have wealth, which is equated to power, they can no longer be a pushover to these large multinationals who are seeking to destroy the rainforest for short-term gain. And so, so humanity, uh, and especially the local humanity, are an integral piece of the jigsaw puzzle to not only to help them survive and prosper now um, for, you know, for, you know, and that's a um, welfare issue, yeah, but to allow them to have the education and prosperity, which will then secure these ecosystems beyond our lifetime. That's wonderful. I love that. I mean, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's pulling all the pieces together and you take care of the indigenous people and they will then in turn take care of their the wildlife because it, it all matters and they all depend on one another. And uh, I think that's just brilliant. And I thank you for sharing that and everything else here with us today. And folks who are listening at home to find out more about Wildlife Conservation International and the International Tiger Project forest for people and to donate to any and all of them, please visit www.internationaltigerproject.org. And Leif, it's been an honor to have you here with us today. And I hope that we can meet again and maybe talk a little bit further about the forest for people project that you've been working on. And until next time, everybody, thank you. Leif, thank you. And I look forward to seeing you again. I hope. Thank you so very much. This has been Erica Salvamini for the Rising Lioness podcast on All About Animals Radio. A special thank you to Chris Corley for generously lending us his song, Zero Gravity, for the Rising Lioness podcast theme. Please take a moment to write a review for our show as it helps others to find us. Please also support our guests and their work, All About Animals Radio, and our social networks. Doing this further supports the animals and their advocates too, thereby making you an Animal Kingdom warrior also. You can find our links on the Rising Lioness podcast page. Until next time, in the words of Sharon Nunez, Animal Equality President, remember this, the small actions of one passionate individual 
can create a butterfly effect leading to a movement that has the power to change the world. Please use your voice for the animals today.